Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, 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 everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is for you. Today we're talking about spiritual awakening. We're going to talk about what it is, how to recognize it, why it causes problems for some people. What that, what does it mean? What does spiritually awakened even mean? It can be a confusing topic for people. And um, what happens pretty frequently, uh, maybe once a week, about, about-ish, somebody contacts me looking for guidance, looking for help, looking for something, or just wanting to have a conversation, having gone through what they determine as some kind of spiritual awakening. And it's not necessarily for me to say whether or not a person has been through awakening. Um... Because it's a hard term to define, first of all, and um, there's this fine line I'm going to talk about between sort of mental, what we would consider, what what Western medicine would consider mental illness and spiritual awakening. And this is not to be ableist or anything like that, because I'm not, but there are um, certain very specific mental illnesses that mimic or go along go along with or are a part of or lead into spiritual awakening. They are they're associated, and I'm going to talk about why I believe that is as well. And a lot of times, people who are going through a spiritual awakening experience have a breakdown of sorts. What we call a you know, a mental breakdown, a nervous breakdown, a psychotic break, all of these things from a, you know, modern Western medical perspective um, but lead into some sort of spiritual awakening. And I've talked before, I've written about the intersection of mental health and spirituality, um, particularly because I come from a shamanic background, and in shamanism, you know, you're dissociating and hallucinating and, you know, all of these things, all of these labels could be placed on what you're doing when you're practicing shamanism. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's early morning here. Um, my clock says 634 a.m., but it is really, my biologically, we just cr- crossed daylight savings, and so uh, it's 5.34. My body thinks it's 5.34. Take a little while for it to get used to that. So <clears throat> let's talk about spiritual awakening and, and what it is, and it's a little bit hard to define. And there's some issues, there's some, um, maybe some misconceptions with spiritual awakening. And I'm going to use the word spiritual awakening instead of 
some of the religious or spiritual terms like enlightenment or Christ consciousness or you know any any other thing I'm just going to use the term spiritual awakening which takes sort of a neutral descriptor so one of the one of the problems with sort of defining or understanding or coming to the conclusion that one may have had a spiritual awakening is that it's not one thing. It's a cluster of perceptual shifts. It's a big... When you've gone through an awakening, you've had a giant perceptual shift. Your experience of the world changes... Completely. However, <clears throat> the experience is similar, but not always the same for everyone. And there are, I almost hate to use this term, but I don't have another way of describing it. There are levels and layers and nuances. So... You could have a spiritual awakening, and then you could have another spiritual awakening, and then you could have another one, and then another one, and another one, and go deeper and deeper and deeper into spirit. You can have a spiritual awakening and not stay in that awakened state. You can maybe not abiding. You don't necessarily have an abiding state of awakeness your state fluctuates. That shift can change. Now, some people some people reach a certain state, a certain level of spiritual awakening, and that level becomes sort of a baseline. That becomes their normal state. Then they can go deeper from there, or they can come back towards their old state, but seems to normalize, right? <clears throat> you might have a normal sort of um, level, you know, sort of like a level of emotion that you stay at normally. Are you a happy person? Are you a sad person? Are you blah, 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 blah. Well, you're not always that one thing. That just happens to be your predominant emotional state. And the same is true for spiritual awakening. You are have a baseline that you move around in. And that baseline, when you go through an awakening, can shift. So that can be why it's challenging to sort of track down and, and categorize. There are, there are researchers who are, um, you know, there's a guy, um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Martins, who's written a book and talks about levels and locations and all of these things, and they've, you know, they've interviewed I don't know how many people and built this huge matrix to say you're, you know, if you're experiencing this, this, and this, you're on location one, and if you're experiencing this, this, and this, you're on location two. Oh, but if you're in location two, you can have all of these different layers to that, and so. Um, you know, that may or may not be useful to an individual, but it, it useful from a research perspective, right? You have to be able to to measure, categorize, you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, so let's talk about how you might know if you've had a spiritual awakening experience. Now, some sometimes spiritual awakening comes with, as I said, a break, you know, a breakdown, like a nervous breakdown or mental breakdown or psychotic break or whatever. How you would know some of the characteristics of awakening would how you would know this was a spiritual awakening is that you would exhibit, you would afterwards, after you things settled down for you mentally, emotionally, um, you know, perceptually, you would have shifted into a new state, a new baseline state is not even the right word. Um, set of states, set of experiences, your consciousness would have been fundamentally changed. Now, spiritually awake, spiritual awakening has very little to do with intellectual knowledge. You can read all the books in the world, although there is a type of yoga that is the yoga of learning, the yoga of knowledge that is, you know, potentially brings someone to enlightenment. I'm not going to argue with that, but. Um, that's not what the shift is. It's not like, I didn't know things before, and now I know things. It's, you know, literally, we you know, the term is overused, but it's a paradigm shift for one thing. How you experience the world changes significantly. And so I think it would be helpful if I you know, if I were to describe some of these shifts. Now, again, this is going to be different a little bit for everyone, but some of these things will be present in any type of awakening, any type of spiritual awakening. The number one sign, I think, for, you know, that someone has been through a spiritual awakening is that there is a fundamental okayness. There's a fundamental sense that everything is okay. No matter what is going on in the world, everything underneath it all is fundamentally okay. This is not to say at all that if you have gone through a spiritual awakening, if you are in a state where you are living from a place of fundamental well-being, that you can still get pulled into drama, that you can still have emotional triggers, that you can still have this or that. Now, for some people, they have gone so far into spiritual awakening that nothing perturbs them. That's a very deep level of awakening. Imperturbability. And you don't interact with these people very much. <laughs> there are lots of people out there that have this experience, but um, they're not out. They they tend not to be out there, um, you know, teaching, being very public, whatever, because they go beyond a level where uh, where approval seeking is important for them, right? So. At certain levels of spiritual awakening, people become less social. This isn't to say that introverts are spiritually awake. It's not introversion or extroversion. It's something completely different. Introversion and extroversion are really about where you get <clears throat> get your energy, right? 
do you get energy from interacting with people or do you get energy when you're solo? You know, do you have to recharge your batteries by spending alone time? That's introversion and extroversion, right? This is different. This level of spiritual awakening is this stuff just isn't important anymore. Alone or in groups, it's just not where the energy comes from. So that's <clears throat> that is a a big one. That the everything is fundamentally okay, and at at initial levels of spiritual awakening, there's still a background. Whether or not you're getting pulled into daily drama, there is still a sense of fundamental okayness. Now, there is. A um, there are you know there's some other signs I want to talk about as well. Um, one of them is I will describe as in, an increased sense of connection with the universe. Now this could come in the form of non-dual experience or complete unity consciousness. Now, um, personally. I don't like to talk about my experiences too, too much because it just it comes off as bragging, and that's not um, that's not a great sign, you know. When people are if people are bragging about their spiritual awakening or whatever, that's not usually a good sign. Um, I'll, and I'll talk about ego in a second, but um, but I you know I just I want to talk about my personal experience just because I think it's it's illustrative and, and I can come from this, you know, this perspective, but so personally I have had many experiences of non-duality of being completely one with everything there is. In fact, in shamanism that gives you a very quick experiential, you know, very rapidly you have this experience, but that for me is not my baseline. However, I do feel a fundamental interconnectedness with every with everything, with everything there is. It's hard to describe if you've never been there. But you know, beyond that is this sense of non-duality in which there's no different like if I'm having in, in a non-dual experience, if you're having a conversation with somebody, it feels like that conversation is coming from the same person. It doesn't mean you can't function in the world, in the 3D, physical, everyday world. You absolutely can. In in any level of spiritual awakening, there is some part of you that's still around that can function in 3D reality. Although, you know, maybe, maybe there are very high levels. There are stories of Buddhist monks, for example, who, um, you know, form the rainbow body and essentially, um, leave the earthly plane in an energy body. So, you know, that that might be different for others. So one of the things is that there seems to be no, you know, nobody knows how deep spiritual awakening can go. There are a lot of systems out there that say, you know, X, Y, and Z is the end state. But when people have researched this, they have found people that have gone beyond that <laughs> Um, it gets rarer and rarer, as as you ima- might imagine, to 
the deeper one the deeper one goes like there aren't there are people who walk around in a complete non-dual state every day not that many of them that's their baseline and then beyond that is this sense comes this sense beyond non-duality comes a sense that the entire universe that you are the entire universe you're just experiencing reality through these the eyes of this body that you're currently borrowing or inhabiting or whatever that's a very um we'll say way down the spiritual awakening pathway to having that experience when people get to that that level it's very very rare very rare like a handful of people in the world at any given time to my knowledge that that's their fundamental state um and the other thing is those people are not going to get caught up in our quote unquote petty dramas and things like politics right the why would you care if you're the entire universe if that is your reality that you are the entire universe experiencing things through one person's eyes along with that along with that particular level and and some of the other levels as well are the um you know come sometimes sort of supernatural abilities and whether or not you want to believe in things like telekinesis or bilocation or whatever, these things have been recorded sometimes under very rigorous scientific controls. <clears throat> and, you know, sometimes these people who have these really, really supernatural abilities if they do they tend not to show them off that's they're not really interested and also imagine imagine if um you know i've talked about this i've talked about this before and i talk about this with clients who contact me and they're like oh i've got this condition and you know what can i expect from having shamanic healing and i said you know if i could guarantee instantaneous miraculous healing to everyone I ever worked with imagine how busy I would be imagine you know every person on like if I could lay my hands on somebody and cure cancer that's probably all I would ever do however imagine um, the line of people in front of my house or wherever I decided to do healings you know the world would beat a path to your door and people who can sort of quote unquote perform miracles. That's not really something they desire. So it's sort of, it's this weird sort of thing. And I know I have experienced, um, people performing what would be considered miracles, um, witnessed firsthand with other people, some very interesting, miraculous demonstration and um, know of, know firsthand of, uh, or I guess secondhand, of other people who could do some miraculous stuff 
and sort of gave it up. Sort of like, oh yeah, I can do this. I can move objects with my mind. I can, you know, whatever. Telekinesis has been um, shown in labs, in laboratories. Um, yes, there have has been some trickery. Uh, sometimes there have been people trained by professional magicians who went in and fooled some researchers. But that doesn't mean all of the research is bogus. You know, there have... You know, there have been people that the the government was very, very, very interested in uh, psychic phenomena such as telekinesis um, and has been and has spent millions and millions of dollars, uh, not just the U.S. government, but other governments as well, to use this stuff to their advantage. One of the issues is if I, you know, if you were really spiritually awakened and had, uh, you know, to the point where you could sort of bend reality to your will, you know, doing that on behalf of a government so that they could, uh, you know, gain some political advantage over an adversary, whatever, that would have very little interest for you, (laughs) right? That's petty politics in the scope of the entire universe. Very petty. And, and you would understand that doing it, you're, you're doing it so that a very few, very wealthy people could gain more power. I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories about the government. All you have to do is look and see that, uh, you know, we have these Congress people who, you know, had a career where they were making $40,000 a year, go into Congress, and now they're worth $44 million. It's not a conspiracy that's you know, there is money to be made. So, let's get back to spiritual awakening, the signs of spiritual awakening. So, the first is this fundamental sense of all being well with the world. Second is interconnection with everything there is, with the universe, with, you know, whatever. Um... This also, you know, from a religious standpoint, this could be like oneness with God or, you know, this absorption into the Christ mind or, you know, there, there are lots of sort of religious ways to describe this interconnection as well, spiritually. Um, you know, in, enlightenment, uh, becoming one with everything, um, which reminds me of a really stupid joke. <laughs> Which is, uh, what did the Dalai Lama say to the hot dog vendor? Make me one with everything. Right? It's a dumb joke. I actually saw a video of somebody telling that joke to the Dalai Lama. Um, and the Dalai Lama was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> he didn't under, you know, didn't get it. But it's hard when you're translating a joke from English into some other language um, to get the new one, especially when it's a wordplay joke like that. But anyway... So there's there's that there's that there um so let's talk about ego a little bit. So there is a change there's with spiritual awakening comes a fundamental change to the ego. Um the ego is just your your concepts and stories about who you are. When you say I am you know, I am my name, I am my job, I am a parent, I'm one of the, a role that I take on. 
these are, you know, parts of your ego. And one of the, you know, as not, you know, non-awakened people are very, very attached to their ego. Right. So I remember, um, and this is not, I'm not using non-awakened in any sort of pejorative term and any sort of way to put anybody down. We are all where we're at. Underneath it all, we are all one. So we are all, you know, there's a part of a, all of us that is awakened. But I remember, you know, when my daughter was very little and she went, she was in school, she's maybe four or five, five, probably five or six, right? She was in school. And she came home and she was really upset. And I said, what, you know, what made you so upset? And she said, um, you know, this kid, this little boy in my class called me stupid. Right? He attacked her ego. She was upset. She's very attached to this concept of herself that says, I am this being that is not stupid. And this violated my, this violated me. Very attached to her ego. Most of us are very attached to our egos. I remember a a family member who likes to push everybody's buttons. And I thought myself above all of that. And one day I ran into her and she said, you're not a man of your word. And it it felt like an ice pick to the heart. Because I thought of myself as a truth teller, as somebody who's a person of his word, and that was ego, and she knew that. And she, you know, she was, she reveled in causing drama and causing people pain by attacking their ego. Now, when my daughter came home and said, so and so called me stupid, I said, well, are you stupid? And she said, no. And I said, what if I said, you, Sophia, are a chair. And she giggled. I said, well, are you a chair? She said, no. I said, so why are you going to get upset at somebody calling you stupid? That's not who you are. It's not what you are. Ah, and she kind of got it, right? She kind of got that she did not have to take that to heart. That was not a part of you know, even though it was violating her ego, that was not a, you know, she didn't have to be attached to that. And the lesson I learned from this person striking out at me and saying, you're not a person of your word, and um, is not to be so attached to my ego that I can get sucked into that drama. And... So spiritual awakening comes with a loosening of the attachment to ego. Now your ego will sh- may shift fundamentally. And some people will talk about ego death or getting rid of the ego or you know whatever. Um, I have met very awakened people who still experience ego. 
very, very deeply awakened people who still have a sense of this is who I am. However, what they often have given up is an attachment to that ego. The Buddha teaches that attachment is the source of suffering. And so, ego isn't necessarily the problem, it's our attachment to it. Now, ego is a trickster. Ego exists, it it has a reason for existing, right? It's not just this evil thing we need to kill and wipe out. Ego is around for the survival of the physical body. If I have an ego and I, you know, my ego identifies with being, you know, owning a home and a car and, you know, all of those things, things that um, provide me means for survival then it's useful, but then it gets, ego gets wrapped up in some stupid things sometimes, doesn't it? You know, I see these people, I drive this kind of car, so I'm important. I need to feel important. I wear these designer clothes, so I feel important. This is, this is an These are ego traps, right? The need to feel above others is an ego trap. So that attachment, so also there is, you know, the over-identification with things that we are not. And that takes us out of any state of spiritual awakening, I saw um, a recording of Bob Proctor talking. It's funny because I was just talking about this in another forum, and um, I was like, you know, I have this name, and this name is just a label. And then the very same day, as, you know, spirit tends to put things in your path, I saw Bob Proctor. If you don't know, he's a spiritual teacher. I I really like him. Uh, I like his teachings. And what he said was, you know, I've got this name, Bob Proctor, but that's just a label my parents gave me when I was born. That's not who I am. And I have this body, and this body someday will die, and it changes over time, and and that's not who I am. So it's this this over-identification with the body, with your name, with your job title, with you know, whatever, with labels, with all kinds of stuff, things that you are not. You're not anything that you have, right? I have a name, I have a body, I have thoughts, I have emotions. None of those things is who I am at my fundamental core. So with awakening comes a an experience Not just a belief, not just an understanding. There is understanding that comes with it, but an experience of this is not who I am. So there is a loosening of the ties to ego. 
so these, I would say, are the three big signs of awakening. There are others, but they're not necessarily as consistent. Not the same for everyone. So some of the things that can come along with spiritual awakening include um, massive shifts in perception. There are reports of people getting, for example, better night vision after spiritual awakening or being able to you know, hear and perceive things. Um, certainly what we would consider, what many would consider extrasensory perception comes in increased intuition because you're plugged you know you're plugged in more directly to the universe now you're the ultimate state here's the thing about spiritual awakening your beingness the the core of who you are ultimately does not change the field of consciousness that you are does not Change. You're not suddenly something different. And I like the word awakening because, you know, enlightenment's pretty good too, but um, you, you become awake to who and what you really are, fundamentally. So the things that you are not lose their importance. You can still use them. I still have this identity. I still have this label. I have this body I can use to record this podcast for you. Underneath it all, you and I are one. That doesn't change. Who you are at your very core never changes. It's timeless anyway. It's outside of time, outside of space, outside. It's formless. Awakening doesn't mean you become that. You're not becoming anything when you are spiritually awakened. You're just being what you are. Right. So there can be this shift, this massive shift in perception. One that that also that can include um, the perception, living from the perception that you're not actually doing anything. Right, you can shift into wit- witness consciousness where your body mind is carrying out your day-to-day activities but you don't necessarily feel like you're really that involved with them. You still get up and brush your teeth. You still, you know, do whatever. <laughs> Turn the lights on, whatever it is you do when you get up in the morning. You still do all that stuff. But there's a feeling of you're kind of witnessing that and your body-mind is carrying on those activities on its own. That's one thing that can happen. Life becomes more effortless. There is a, um, the, the sense of okayness, the sense of fundamental well-being, as they call, as you know, some researchers call it, comes along with a sense of peace, a growing sense of peace in the background. That's not to say 
that the world that your body mind is inhabiting 3d reality becomes peaceful all of a sudden that war stops and all of that sort of thing no <clears throat> despite all of those things that are going on you have a growing feeling of peace as a background if you don't have that one of two things is going on one is um or you know one of several things but one of the main things could be that you didn't actually you haven't actually gone through spiritual awakening and that's fine that's okay everybody is where they are but it if you go through an awakening experience and you it did not bring with it at some point yes when you're going through you know when when the initial shift can be very tumultuous very chaotic very unpeaceful but when you come out of that there should be this real sense of peace in the background if you don't have that then you've experienced something else and that's okay it's not a judgment it's just what it is the other thing the other sort of major thing that can be happening is that you have shifted like your baseline hasn't shifted to awakening to the awakened state so Sometimes we have these little glimpses, we have these tastes of awakening before we shift more permanently in our base state. Very, very, very common. Almost everybody who does any kind of spiritual work experiences that. And again, that's okay. everything is okay. <laughs> everything you're experiencing is okay. One of the interesting paradoxes with awakening is, you know, um, attainment feels less important. Gaining things seems less important, even though you may, you know, once you've gone through a spiritual awakening, you might try to deepen that. You might try to make it more permanent. You might try. It's not, it's not about attainment for the sake of ego. That's not it. Hey, I'm level 32. I'm, you know, got my black belt in awakening, whatever. You know, it's not, none of that is that important. But there, you know, sometimes there is a sense that, oh, there's more to this. And wouldn't it be interesting to see what's there, to see what's going on? One of the things I want to talk about a little bit is um, 
what happens physiologically to people, what happens to your physical body. Because your consciousness, when it shifts, um, can rewrite a bunch of stuff in your brain, can rewrite stuff in your nervous system. No, I do not equate the brain and consciousness as being the same thing. And I heard an interesting um, metaphor for, you know, saying that the brain is, is consciousness or that consciousness is generated in the brain. So if you were to go out to um, somewhere where there was a, uh, a, a primitive, and I just mean that from a technological standpoint, tribe, this is, again, not, when I use the word primitive, sometimes that's taken to mean less than or whatever. Um, but if I were wanting to survive in a jungle or without technology, um, you know, I would want to have the skills the extreme level of skills and knowledge that these people have. So if I were to go out to some tribal region somewhere, you know, South America, you know, the some places in Africa, some places where there are still tribes living without technology, right? It's getting rarer to find these places in the world, but um, tribes that have not experienced technology before. And I were to bring a radio, out there and turn it on and all of a sudden these tribes would hear you know these people who had never seen a radio or heard you know or were aware of how technology worked the baseline would suddenly um, hear voices coming out of the radio and they might you know for example come to the conclusion that there were tiny people living inside the radio speaking through it. Very logical conclusion if you don't know how radio works. And then let's say they took, you know, they would take apart the radio looking for those people and they would never find them, right? Because they weren't aware that there were people in a studio miles and miles and maybe hundreds of miles away broadcasting well the same is true for consciousness and the brain right and also if they took the radio apart the voices would stop right the voices that were coming out of the radio would stop if they took it apart looking for the source of these voices oh we killed you know we killed the people that live inside the radio or whatever the same is true of the brain and people who research that looking for consciousness, right? You can take the brain apart and it stops receiving. I think the brain is a receiver of consciousness and a processor and it does a lot of stuff for us, but it is not consciousness and we have not been able to locate consciousness in the brain. Yeah, you can damage the brain and it stops receiving the same way you can damage a radio, but it doesn't stop the broadcast. So it's a good way of looking at consciousness. So 
with major shifts in consciousness that as happens with spiritual awakening, there can be fundamental changes to the physiology of the brain for the per, for the person who is experiencing that shift. Why? Because we have to rewire the radio to receive this new profound consciousness. Sometimes this is dangerous, only in very extreme levels. Um, but there are stories that researchers have found, not just the stories, but they have studied the individuals, there's stories coming out of research of finding people who went through profound experiences of spiritual awakening that wound up with life-threatening stuff because low-level functions in their uh, nervous system stopped working correctly. Sounds dangerous, and it is. It is dangerous to the physical body can be very very high levels of spiritual awakening deep levels whatever however you want to look at it very profound levels of spiritual awakening can come you'll have um you know uh, people who go catatonic for a while unable to speak you know and it sort of be like, oh, did this person have a stroke or did they have, you know, something, you know, along those lines? And no, they, they did not. Now, after the brain rewrites itself and shifts, these people are once again physiologically fine and able to speak and come out of their catatonic state um, unless they die, which also happens. Sometimes people stay that way until their body passes away. There are stories of... Um, monks who meditate in such a deep state that they go into this quasi-death state for years. And, you know, frequently they don't, people don't know if, they're, if they are dead or alive. And, in fact, you know, their body doesn't really decompose, even though they haven't eaten or, and you can't really detect their breathing and... and you know, there, there are these states that we don't really understand yet. These aren't just stories. They're, these are, you know, things people to this day are going through and, and witness. And these aren't just um, mythologies. And there are, you know, there are researchers that are just beginning to look into these things, into these experiences. So these are some of the signs of spiritual awakening. Fundamental well-being, a sense of interconnectedness, a lessening of the ego, big perceptual shifts, right? There also seems to be a quieting of the you know the narrative background noise of your mind 
The mind loves to chatter. It has this thing called the default mode network that when you aren't focused on something, when you aren't meditating or really, really focused on what you're doing, there's chatter, there's rumination, there's all of these processes. Well, and this is going on where different parts of the brain are just sort of communicating with each other. Hey, what's going on? Oh, yeah, remember this? Oh, yeah, remember that? Um, Different parts of the brain. This is called the default mode network. One of the functions of the default mode network is it is self-referential, meaning those thoughts, those ruminations feel like it feels like who we are. Those thoughts feel like who we are. And so with experiences of spiritual awakening, that default mode network uh, quiets down, first of all. And second of all, those narrative thoughts become less attached to self-reference. Thought arises still, but you don't go, oh, that's who I am. You know, I am that I am that which has the you know that song going through my head that I can't get out of my head. I am that who um, has those depressive thoughts that I'm ruminating over. Those thoughts of worthlessness or being unloved or whatever. There's less identification with that. To the point where it, in more more profound levels of awakening, it feels like the normal state is no, no inner dialogue. And some people, you know, some people don't really aren't really aware of an inner dialogue or you know whatever. But the the default mode network becomes less self self referential. It's not about who we are anymore. So if you feel like you've gone through a spiritual awakening, what do you do about that? This is a question I get. I've gone through spiritual. What should I do? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm being a little facetious there. Um, you do with it. You do with it what you will, right? You don't have to do anything with it. Or you can work with it to see, to experiment, to see how further along that path you can go. Or you can work to understand it more if an intellectual understanding of awakening is important to you. I have a lot of people, a lot of people contact me um, interested in understanding their spiritual awakening. 
Why? Well, because it's a completely novel, uh, new way of being for them. It's a new way of going through the world. And, you know, in the beginning, in the, in the sort of the, the initial levels of awakening, it can be very confusing. You can feel very alone. Although there are plenty of people who have had awakening experiences and many who have uh, stabilized that to some extent. But we don't always know who those people are. There aren't necessarily, you know, unless you join a cult or an ashram or something, aren't necessarily large groups of people having that experience to kind of hang out with and discuss. And it can feel very abnormal. It can feel like you've gone crazy. It can feel all of these things. You know, particularly when it comes with a mental health breakdown. You know, I went through a psycho. You know, somebody contacted me very recently. I went through spiritual awakening and it resulted in a psychotic break. Well, psychotic break was part of the awakening. The awakening didn't, you know, didn't result in the break. The break happened at the beginning of the awakening. And now that you're out of the break, you know, if you've stabilized your state of well-being, your state of connectedness, whatever the perceptual shifts are, then I don't suspect you would go through that again, if that's the fear. And some people do fear that. Right? And some people feel like, I, you know, I went through this profound experience and I feel like I need to do something with it. What do I do? Or I should develop this. Or, you know, whatever. What do I do? Um, and I can't, you know, that is too complicated to cover in a single podcast. Um, when people contact me regarding this, um, you know, if, if we wind up working together, and I don't wind up working with everyone, it's not, uh, it always has to be the right fit for me and the other person. Um, you know, we look at that as an individual. What's that mean for you individually? And as a spiritual teacher, do is what I have to offer in alignment with what you are looking for? Is my teaching style appropriate for you? You know, there are lots of people out there who think that everyone should be doing things the way they're doing it, and I don't take that perspective. As a spiritual teacher, I know that fit the right fit, finding the right teacher. It's incredibly important. You know, you can go attached to any guru out there, just about. If you've got enough money, if you've got enough time, if you can, you know, give up everything and go live in a commune or ashram or whatever. There are, you know, there are lots of places out there that you can just sort of like sign up. Um, but is that going to be the right path for you? Just because it's the one you found, the one you signed up for. Maybe, maybe not. 
I like to be very efficient. <laughs> very efficient with um, students and say, look, you know, tell me what you're looking for. Let's talk about it. Let's find out if my teaching style is right for you. And if not, I will reach out to other teachers or find a referral or, you know, tell you what you might be better suited for. You know, I do, I give um, public classes that anybody can come sign up for. I'm giving a free talk at the end of this month, as a matter of fact, on spiritual awakening. And anybody can sign up for that. Um, but to study with me directly, uh, you know, there is, you know, when I first started out in shamanism, for example, my teacher had to interview me. Like I sat in her office for, I think, three hours. And there was an application before she decided to take me on as a student. You know, and so I don't take everybody as a student, and I also tell people that if you feel for whatever reason that I'm not right for you, then that I'm that I'm not right for you, and, you know... I'm happy to reach out to my network and see if they're, you know, if I know of somebody who's better suited, then, you know, I'll reach out or I'll refer. Spirituality, you know, is not a one size fits all kind of pursuit. There are things that kind of work for everyone. Meditation works for everyone, but not every type of meditation works for everyone. There are tens of thousands, if not more, styles, types, processes, procedures for meditation. You know, is that going to work out for you? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Which, you know, which one? Sometimes you have to hunt around and find the type, you know, the style of meditation that works for you. I'll do another, um, I'll do a podcast at some time in the future on uh, meditation and um, talk about the ins and outs of it and, and that sort of thing. But it does seem to be the, you know, as a practice, the one, the one thing that leads, leads most people into awakening. There are other things, and, and there are people who come to awakening without meditation whatsoever. So, you know, again, there are many, many paths, many paths to the top of the mountain. We're all going to the same mountaintop, but there are many different ways of getting there, many different experiences along the way. So with that, I will leave you for today. I love you all. I hope you're all doing well and that you are happy and healthy, and we will talk soon.
have been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.